Greetings, 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 beloved, in the matchless, marvelous, majestic, and magnanimous name of the Lord Jesus. I greet you today with Jesus' joy. Certainly grateful and thankful to have this blessed Tuesday to connect with you for another opportunity of study and walking through the word of God. I pray and trust as always that all is well with you and yours. Pray that God is blessing and keeping you. And uh, I pray that you are excited and ready to dive into our study as we are continuing our walk through the book of Leviticus, as we are continuing to set our sights on the standard of worship. We have been walking through the six offerings that have been given to man or were given to man, God's chosen people. And uh, we are at the halfway mark. We've covered the first three already. Uh, signifying and a representative of our commitment to God. And so in today's lesson, if the Lord shall say the same, we're going to dive in and take a look at the final three. And if time permits, there are a few life applications that I want to share with you on today. But of course, we must take a moment to bow our heads in prayer. Let's invite the power and the presence of God into our time of study and walking through the word. Join me now and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I say thank you for this day. Thank you for life, for health, and for strength. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, and your love toward us. God, I say thank you because you have been so good to us. You've been so kind to us, God. You've continued to look beyond our faults and supply every one of our needs. God, I'm asking you now, as always, that if you would grant unto me clarity of speech and clarity of thought, I want to be found rightly dividing your word before your people. Speak to me as I speak to them. And God, I pray that everything that we do say and think is found pleasing to your sight and the glory of your name. This is my prayer. I offer it now. In Jesus' name, we pray and we praise. Amen and amen. As always, it's good to be with you on this blessed Tuesday, and I'm certainly grateful whether you're joining us Tuesday morning or Tuesday evening. I am certainly grateful to have you connected with us. Last week, we left off talking about the grain offering or the meal offering, and we touched on the drink offering. Um, if I could pick up where we left off, I want to make sure that we understand first and foremost that those three offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the drink offering went together. They were all together because all three of them represented our dedication to God as well as our commitment to God and our commitment to worshiping God. Throughout the, those three, if you remember, the burnt offering had to do with our attitude, making sure that as the offering was given, it presented an aroma that was pleasing to the nostrils of God. Um, the grain offering had to do with man's labor, mm, had to do with the man's labor, uh, understanding that man's labor has to be important in our worship to God. And then we talked about the drink offering. Of course, we said the drink offering is not in the book of Leviticus. It's found in the book of Numbers, but the symbolism is still the same. Does our worship refresh God? Does our worship fulfill the purpose, the power, and the plan of God? 
over our lives. Remember, we said that there are three things that we need to always be looking for when it comes to our worship. We must first check our attitude. We've got to have the right attitude in worship. Secondly, we've got to have the right atmosphere. Is the atmosphere right? Not just in the sanctuary, but even in the sanctuary that you create in your home, in your private time, in your private devotion. What is the atmosphere like? Um, and then third and finally, we got to check the actions. Attitude, atmosphere, action. Well, those three things are going to continue as we dive into the last three offerings uh, that have been offered or are offered by God's chosen people. Uh, we're going to take a look at all three of them. I'm going to try to anyway, <laughs> take a look at all three of them in relation to worship for the people of Israel then compared to worship for us now. Uh, there is a message of representation. Uh, there's symbolism that we need to see uh, with those offerings. So if you have your handout, we're on the second page of the handout. Just as the grain offering, the meal offering, and the drink offering was representative of our commitment to God, point number two from the handout simply says that we must also make sure that we are mindful when it comes to worship of our communion with God. That's really the foundation of worship. Once you get the commitment right, the communion cannot help but fall into place. Communion, commune, spending time, connecting, getting to know, building a relationship, growing in relationship, a communion with God. Which brings us to offering number four. Offering number four is the peace offering. The peace offering, of course, is recorded in chapter three verses one through 17. And today I will not take time to read it like we did last week. I won't take time to read it. I pray and trust that you have read these seven chapters um, and you are basically ready to dive in. All right. Um, the man's service is found in chapter three. And then the priest's service or the priestly role as it related to the peace offering is recorded in chapter seven, verses 11 through 38. Certainly want to encourage you, if you have not yet done so, to please take the time to uh, read through and gain knowledge and understanding of the word of God. All right. Let's take a look at the fellowship offering. Now, when we deal with the peace offering, there are several different things that I want to make sure that you grab. There are several pieces that um, chapter three sort of tells us that separates the peace offering from the previous offerings and even the final two. All right. For one, the offerer could bring a female animal for a peace offering. OK, whereas, you know, the others, particularly with the burnt offering, the burnt offering basically identified that the sacrifice had to be a male goat, a male sheep, a male lamb, um, the birds. They had to be the male. All right. Uh, which was something that's something totally new to us. All right. Because the fellowship offering, understand, 
was used predominantly, point number one, under letter A, under uh, the peace offering. This offering was used as food for the priest and the offerer's family. All right. If 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 if, you know, basically because the offering was not in fulfillment of a vow. If you look at look ahead at Leviticus chapter 22, uh, verse 23, the sacrifice could have some defects and still be accepted because of its purpose. It was going to be used for food for the priest and the offerer's family. And for that cause, the defects wouldn't matter. All right. Which leads us to a very important key as it relates to worship. Very important key. All right. The very important key is when it comes to worship, God is not looking for perfection. God is looking for fellowship. I want to say that again. God is not looking for perfection. I'm going to say that one more time. God is not looking for perfection. There is no perfect way to worship. Amen. Lights and walls. I will say that one more time. There is no perfect way to worship. There is no correct way to worship. All God requires is that our worship, according to John 4, 24, be found in spirit and in truth. All right. So we understand, number one, the fellowship offering or the peace offering could be a female animal. All right. Secondly, the second thing, it could be it was used as food for the priest and for the offerer's family, which leads me to something else that I need to point out to you. All right. Look at this. The peace offering number two from the handout is the only offering that was shared with worshipers for the means or for the purpose of fellowship. We see it in chapter three. It's right there in chapter three that after the priest completed the sacrifice, as a matter of fact, let me see if I can put my eyes on it real quick. Once the, the uh, verse five, uh, let's look at it real quick. Uh, Leviticus chapter three, verse five. Then Aaron's son shall burn on the altar on the top of the burnt offering, which is the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Look at verse six through uh, 11 with me. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from his flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of the offering, kill it in front of the tent of meeting, Aaron shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then shall the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off the close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all of the fat of the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins of the long lobe of the liver shall he remove with the kidneys. Lord, that's a lot of words. And the priest shall burn it. Y'all see that on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. All right. Keep going. If his offering is a goat, then he may offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on it 
and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering. All right. Jump down with me to verse 16. And the priest shall burn them, the fat from the animals on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. Here it is. Verse 17. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. All right. So basically, what are we seeing here? After the priest had completed the sacrifice, removing the fat, the large portion of the meat went to him. The rest went to the offerer who could then enjoy a feast with his family and friends. Now, since the Jews didn't offer, didn't often rather slaughter their precious animals for meat, a dinner or beef or lamb would be special occasion. At the dedication of the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 62 through 66, Solomon sacrificed 142,000 peace offerings and the people feasted for two weeks. All right. What does this mean? What does it mean? Here's the thing, y'all. In Bible culture, to eat with people is to make them your friends and your allies. I want to say that one more time. I need to say that one more time as it relates to worship, according to Bible times. All right. And there's several scriptures I'm going to give you here in a moment. According to Bible times, the offering represented point number three from the handout. Number one, the end of hostilities, as it was with Jacob and his father-in-law Laban in Genesis chapter 31. All right. Again, when you sit down and eat with someone, you seek to make them your friends and your allies. What's the point that you're trying to make, Pastor? The point that I'm trying to make is sometimes all we've got to be able to do is reason together. That's what worship should do. It should not only cause us to make sure that we're lifting up the Savior and recognizing the Savior, but it also should help build fellowship with our brothers and sisters so that we can be found doing as the word of God says. Oh, magnify Psalm 34, the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What good is worship if you're only worshiping by yourself? Amen. But it's something else that I need to share with us that we find in chapter three and also in Leviticus chapter seven. According to chapter seven, the peace offering meant more than the enjoyment of food. It meant more than the enjoyment of food. Let me back up because I'm leaving something out on the handout. I'm moving too fast today. Let me back up real quick. The offering, the peace offering represents the end of hostilities making people your friends, as with Jacob and Laban in Genesis 31, all right? Point number two, the sealing of friendship. The sealing of friendship, which is found uh, with Israel and Jethro and his people in Exodus chapter 18, verse 12. And even in the church today, beloveds, 
even in the church today, we take a part of a fellowship offering or a peace offering. What is it? What is it? It is known as Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Amen. Which is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 16 through 18 and chapter 11. Those familiar words in verses 18 through 34. That's why it is called the communion. Because we are communing together. All right. Now, according to chapter seven, verses 11 through 18, this peace offering meant more than the enjoyment of food and fellowship with loved ones and fellow believers. This peace offering also expressed man's thanksgiving to God for all of his many blessings. It also was a moment that man made a vow to God and God answered his prayer. In other words, the fellowship offering is a symbolism that offers or represents in worship man's ability not only to worship God, but to work alongside his fellow man. After all, y'all, what good is worship if you're the only one in the room? And I say that on, on, on a couple of areas because oftentimes, beloveds, we are so busy. There are those rather who are so busy trying to be more important than they are that they lose sight of the humility that comes in just being able to fellowship one with another. Do you not know the joy that is found in being able to share and fellowship with your brothers and with your sisters? The blessing that is found in being able to share with your brothers and your sisters. Now, in Leviticus chapter number seven, verses uh, uh, 19 through 38, we find the conditions for this feast offering. And we've already sort of read it in chapter three. But when we think about the priest's role, we find out the conditions for the feast what the people could eat, what the priests ate, and what was done with the leftovers. The blood and the fat were given to God and were never used for food for the priest or the people. All right. There are several reasons why, but one is found is that the fat produced the aroma that was burnt, and when it was burnt, the aroma made forth a pleasing smell in the eyes of God. We saw that with the burnt offering. Understanding, beloveds, that even in our fellowship, our fellowship should be found pleasing to God. All right? Turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 2. I want to bring this to New Testament uh, real quick. Acts chapter 2. Um, yeah, Acts chapter two, you remember in Acts chapter two, that was the day of Pentecost, right? 
That was the day of Pentecost and things happened on the day of Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave utterance. Uh, there were 3000 souls saved and added to the church. Uh, Peter preached that powerful message about repenting and believing God and being converted. But then when you get to the final verses, look with me very quickly at verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter two. I want to show you what happens when fellowship and worship combine. All right. Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. English standard version says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Let me stop right there before I go any further. Do you all see the four components that are listed in verse 42? Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And number four, they devoted themselves to prayer. The four things that I need us to really see, catch a hold to, and don't lose sight of. If we can receive the teaching of the word of God, if we can receive fellowship together as brothers and sisters, if we can spend time in breaking a bread and Lord knows if we can spend time in prayer, then we are building ourselves to become a greater church. Amen. Let me keep reading. Verse 43 and all King James Version says and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done among the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Look at this now. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Look at this. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were saved. Quick exercise, beloved. I would that you would combine verse 42 and verse 47 together, and you will find the foundation that I believe ought be alive in every church. St. James Missionary Baptist, every church established in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me read it for you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. So when we think about the conditions, when we think about the, the conditions of the fellowship offering or the peace offering. Basically, we are basically seeking to make sure that we remain in true fellowship. Go back to those three words, attitude, atmosphere, action. What's your attitude toward fellowship? What's your atmosphere toward fellowship? And what are you doing to promote fellowship? See, you can't be fellow. You can't have fellowship. I hear my daddy now. You can't have fellowship when you act like you're the only fellow in the ship. 
There's got to be something within you that puts down your mentalities. You got to shift your attitude, your atmosphere and your action. Are you inviting? Are you engaging? Are you welcoming? This is something that even last week, I don't mind sharing this with you. Last week, we talked about this in the in-person class where we were talking and we were discussing that just like restaurants have sanitation scores, wonder what would be like if the church had a spiritual sanitation score. What is our spiritual sanitation score? Are we engaging? Are we inviting? Do people feel welcomed when they come in contact with us? Or do they feel intimidated? Or do they feel like you are above them and they are beneath you? What do they encounter? You know, are, are we accessible as a pastor? That's a question I ask myself often. Father, help me be accessible. You know, most Sunday mornings, I am soaking wet because I've just finished preaching and perspiring, but I don't try to run out of the sanctuary. I try to make time to engage and speak with my people and love on folks. I've got a couple of my young people. I don't care how wet I am. I can be soaking wet. You can best believe they're going to find their way to me and hug me so tight. You know, you know what that says? That says that there is a level of fellowship. Let me make it live because I, I hear my good friend, Dr. Hollis Neal, uh, talking with him, sharing with him last week in Baltimore. Dr. Neal said that there was once when he first became pastor of First Charity that he asked his members because there were members who were so quick. Service was over. They would just walk out and leave and wouldn't say nothing, wouldn't greet the pastor, wouldn't say hello to the pastor. He said he made it his business one Sunday morning to say to them, I want everybody here to take a moment, make time, make time to come greet me. He said that it was done on purpose because there were some that would come and they would leave and would not even speak. People of God, let's think about that on Sunday mornings. Let's not be in such a hurry to go home and get out that we lose sight of the spirit of fellowship. Let's not be so above everybody else. I'm teaching good in here. Let's not be so above everybody else that we cannot make time to reach out and love on each other. That's the whole point. That is an important part of worship. That is just as important as our hands waving and our song singing and our word preaching and, 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 and our money giving. Make sure that we are spending time fellowshipping one with another. Why? We're all worshiping the same God. And we're all trying to do what? Get to the same place. The fellowship offering. The fellowship offering. The fellowship offering. That, those are the things that we must make sure of. Couple of scriptures. We feast on Christ. When we feed on his word and appropriate ourselves all that he is to us and has done for us. See, the difference between them and us is that then in, they brought animals. But us, we bring the sacrifice of two things. Mm -hmm. In our fellowship, we bring the sacrifice of thanksgiving, according to Psalm 116, verse 17. And then according to Hebrews 13 and 15, 
We are offering the sacrifice of praise with the fruit of our lips, giving thanks and praise to the name of the Lord. Which brings me to point three of our handout. Point three, we find the final two offerings. The final two offerings. Uh, the, the first, letter A, is the sin offering, which is recorded in chapter four, verse one, through chapter five, verse 13, with the priest instructions being recorded in chapter six, um, verses 24 through 30. All right. The sin offering, the sin offering and the guilt offering or what we will call the offering number six, the trespass offering are very much alike. They're very much alike. And in some cases, when it came to the priests, were governed by the same law as recorded in chapter seven. All right. The guilt offering. Let's let's deal with the difference. The guilt offering or the trespass offering uh, was there for the individual sins that affected people and property. While the sin offering focuses on some violation of the law that was done without deliberate intent. Let me make it live. Let me make it live. Let me make it live. All right. The guilt offering, the guilt offering, the trespass offering was for individual sins that affected people and property for which restitution, going back to Exodus chapter 24, uh, 22 rather, could be made. While the sin offering focused on some violation of the law that was done without deliberate intent. In other words, it was done, but it wasn't deliberately done. It wasn't meaningful, it wasn't purposeful. The trespass offering emphasizes the damage done, the damage done, while the sin offering focuses on the guilt for what is done. All right, let's deal with the sin offering, the sin offering, the sin offering, according to chapter four, going all the way into chapter five, the first uh, uh, 13 verses of chapter five. There are a few things about it. Point number one under letter A, letter three A, the sin offering. First of all, had to be brought to the Lord no matter who the sinner was. It had to be brought to the Lord. And the higher the sinner's position in the nation, the more expensive the sacrifice. The greater the privilege, the greater the responsibility and the greater the consequence, all right? According to chapter four, verses one through 12, if the high priest sinned, he had to give a young bullock. But in verses 13 through 21, if the whole congregation sinned, then they had to bring a bullock. Hmm, y'all, is it, is it being, is it being, is it coming clear? Whatever animal was offered, whether it was a young bullock for the high priest or a bullock uh, for the congregation, let me lift this up. Verse 22 through 26 says that a, a ruler had to bring a male goat while a member of the community 
could bring a female kid or a female lamb. A poor person could bring two doves or pigeons, and a very poor person could bring a non-bloody sacrifice of fine flour. That is the sin offering in a nutshell. All right? Let me go back through it again just to make sure you got the scriptures. All right? In Leviticus 4, 1 through 12, if the high priest sinned, he had to bring a young bullock. According to verses 13 through 21, if the whole congregation sinned, they had to bring a bullock. All right? According to verses 22 through 26, chapter 4, a ruler brought a male kid of the goats. Why, according to verses 27 through 35, a common member of the community brought a female kid of the goats or a female lamb. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, a poor person could bring two doves or two pigeons. But then, according to chapter 5, verses 7 through 13, a very poor person could bring a non-bloody sacrifice of flour. But here is the point, y'all. Here is the point with the sin offering. Point number two of your handout, whatever was brought, the offender had to identify with the sacrifice by laying his hands on it. In other words, the offerer laid his hands. We saw this with the burnt offering to identify with the sacrifice. And when the whole nation sinned, the elders did this. For the leaders, they were responsible before God for the oversight of the spiritual life of the people. The animal was slain, the blood presented to God. In the case of the high priest and the nation, some of the blood was sprinkled before the veil and applied to the horns of the altar of incense in the holy place. That's found in verse 15. All right. The blood of the sacrifices brought by the leaders or the common people was applied to the doors, to the horns rather, of the brazen altar and the door of the tabernacle. What was the result of this? In each instance of sacrifice being offered, point number three, the result of the sin offering was forgiveness. Mm-hmm. The result was forgiveness. Even though sacrifices cannot change the human heart, this is representative. This sacrifice brings it to us in the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as one, the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. You want reference to that? I'll reference Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. We're going to see that a little bit later. That's why I'm not going to spend a lot of time there this morning. We're going to spend we're going to see that a little bit later as we dive into the book of Leviticus. Those passages from Hebrews are going to come back up. And then secondly, sacrifices point to Jesus as our sin offering. Mm hmm. Our sin offering. Look with me real quick. I am going to reference one real quick. Isaiah chapter 53. Let's go there real quick. The words of the prophet Isaiah, chapter number 53. 
Let's read verses four. Oh my goodness. Four, five, six. Well, you know what? Let me just read from verse four. Let me read the entire chapter. Let me do, <laughs> let me do that because there's so much in this chapter I don't want to leave out as it relates to Christ becoming our sin offering. And by sacrificing his life, we have been forgiven. Isaiah 53, beginning verse one, who has believed what, is heard, what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Classic words, y'all. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He became our sin offering. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before us, before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has been put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. Hallelujah. And makes intercession for the transgressor. He makes intercession for the sinner. He makes intercession. That's why worship is so important. Because worship allows us to approach a holy God in the midst of our unholiness, knowing that when we approach him correctly, he has forgiven us of all of our sin. Amen. Which leads us to the sixth and final offering. The trespass offering. We've already talked about it. We've already talked about it. In, in, in chapter 5, verse 15, and in chapter six, verses one through seven, we see the two reasons for the trespass offering. 
Point number one under letter B. The trespass offering was needed for two kinds of sins. Number one, sins against the holy things of the Lord. And number two, sins against one's neighbor. You may want to write those scripture references down and go back and read them in your spare time. The sins against the holy things of God is found in chapter five, verse 15. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read it. Uh, Leviticus 5, 15 says, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. That basically includes um, offenses that involved sacrifices to God. Uh, anytime they violated vows, violated celebrations on special days, anything that had to do with the holy things of God, the trespass offering took place. Whereas in chapter six, verses one through seven, we see there that those have to do with sins against one's neighbor. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Leviticus chapter six, verses one through seven. The word of God says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of the things that the people do and sin thereby. Look at verse four. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and add a fifth to it, giving to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation, compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. Verse seven, and the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. Just like the first category, the first uh, uh, trespass would be the holy things of God. The second one has us to understand that the sinner must ask God for forgiveness. The sinner confesses sin restoring the property involved and its equivalent in money, paying up to 20% of the value of the damaged property. I want to make that live because this is a verse that most times we look at when it comes to Old Testament law and tithing. All right. Please understand that not only did you have to pay back, that's what that restoring piece comes in, but as a penalty, you had to give 20% above. 
Aren't y'all glad that we are operating by grace? Because when we think about how oftentimes, think about this, under Old Testament law, if you offered your tithe or did not give your tithe and you wanted to re be restored, you had to give your tithe and then a 20% penalty above your tithe. Thank God that we are now under the dispensation of grace versus the law. Mm-hmm. The priest valued the ram to make sure of his worth, lest the offender tries to atone for his sins by giving something cheap. The restitution and the fine were first given to the priest. Chapter six, verse six. And if the offended party was not available to receive it, it could be given to his relatives. If no relative was available, according to Numbers 5, verses 5 through 10, it remained with the priest. All right. This offering, point number two, was an offering that permitted confession and restoration. When we confess our sin, isn't that the word of God? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Point number three, this offering was costly. The trespass offering illustrates that fact, that it is a very costly thing for people to commit sin and for God to cleanse sin. Why? Our sins hurt God. Our sins hurt others. True repentance will always bring and come with a desire to make it right. You'll want to make it right with God. You'll want to make it right with those whom you've offended, right? Isaiah 53 and 10 clearly states that when Jesus died on the cross, God made Jesus our guilt offering. The penalty that we should have paid, he paid for us. Which brings me to point number four, the lesson. What are the life applications? My time is just about up. What are the life applications that we can see from the six offerings, from the burnt offering, from the meal offering, the grain offering, the drink offering, the trespass offering, the guilt offering, the sin offering? What are the revelations that apply to our lives right now? All right. Point A, worship should help us see a few things. Worship should help us see a few things. Worship should help us see, first of all, sin is real. Sin is real. Sin, and let me define it again, is anything that separates us from the word, will, and ways of God. You don't, you don't have to be a sinner to sin. Can I say that one more time? You don't have to be a sinner to sin. All you have to do according to James chapter four is be drawn away and be enticed by the lust or the desires of your flesh. Sin is real, beloveds. All of us, according to the word of God, have sinned. And may I be honest with you? We're going to sin again. But did the word say that when we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us 
our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the second life application? Worship should also allow us to see the need for confession and restoration. We need to see the seriousness of not only confessing to God and confessing to our fellow man, but seeking to make things right. That's what worship does. When we get into God's divine presence, worship ought to help us see when we're wrong and when we've done things wrong, said things wrong, thought things wrong, and then ought to help us make it right. Amen. Third thing, we see the grace in God's forgiveness. Isn't it, aren't you glad that he doesn't hold over your head when you mess up? Aren't you glad that he looks beyond your faults and supplies every one of your needs? Aren't you glad that he does not give us what we deserve? But by forgiving us, he gives us grace. Mm-hmm. God gives us another chance every day. Amen. Fourth and finally, number four, worship should allow us to see the love we have for our Savior. Amen. Amen. Which brings me to this closing. I'm closing now. I'm closing. Boy, this is powerful. I'm closing. Point B. Let's talk about who Jesus is. Jesus is our burnt offering. Point, point number one. He's our burnt offering. Therefore, we must yield our lives to him. He is our meal offering, the seed that was crushed and put through the fire that we might have bread and we must feed on him. He is our drink offering who poured himself out in sacrifice and in service. So we must pour out ourselves for him and for others. He is our fellowship offering, making life a joyful feast instead of a painful famine. He is our sin offering. He paid the price for our sin. Yes, he did. He is our trespass offering, our guilt offering. He redeems us from sin and shame. But see, here's the thing that I need to close with. When we develop and set our sights on a standard of worship, understand that whereas the nation of Israel had to offer six sacrifices in order to have a right relationship with God. Hebrews 10 and 12 reminds us that Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And he took care of our sin problem. Jesus paid it all. I'm done, y'all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. I'm done with the first unit of our study from the book of Leviticus, the standards for our worship. Next week of the Lord shall say the same. We'll dive into the next lesson, the next unit, which deals with the priesthood. Chapters eight, nine, and 10. We'll deal with the priesthood. We'll spend a few time, few minutes there. But before I close today, perhaps there may be someone who has been watching, you've been listening, and you have heard me talk about these offerings and how Christ is seen in those offerings for you and for I. Don't you know he was hung up for your hangups? 
Never forget he was laid down for your get downs. But most of all, he rose on the third day, giving you new life. He now sits at the right hand of the father, keeping an eye out for us and speaking to the father on our behalf. But we got a role in that too. Romans 10 verses eight, nine, and 10 says that if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and will believe in your heart that God have raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever, that's where we got in, will believe on him shall never be put to shame. So today, if you're watching, if you're listening, you're not saved, you know you're not, you wanna be and you need to be. I need you to find the comment section on no matter what feed that you're on. And I need you to give me two pieces of information. Give me your name and then give me a five word declaration. The five word declaration simply is, I need to be saved. I need you to drop that in the comment section right now and stay close because I'm about to give you some additional information. Perhaps you know who God is. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. Perhaps you've drifted off. You've fallen by the wayside. And it happens to the best of us. But you realize you need to make it right. I want to give you an opportunity to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ by simply praying this simple prayer. Asking God to create in you a clean heart. you got to make this declaration. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he came, gave his life and died for me that I might be saved. I confess it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. And right now I know I am saved. If you made that declaration and if you are ready to rededicate your life to Christ, I want to ask you to go back to that comment section no matter who, what feed you're on. Give me your name and a one word response. Simply the one word is rededicate. Once you do that, I would invite you and ask you to take a moment to text us SJMBC virtual to the text code of 84576. Once you do that, a reply box is going to come back asking for your name, uh, an email address and a contact number so that we can reach out to you. Our servant leader over the Church Beyond Walls will be reaching out, connecting with you, welcoming you to the family of God, welcoming you to the family of faith here at St. James Church, and also to be found praying for you. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. To God be the glory. If you have any questions from today's lesson, Please feel free uh, to drop them in the comment section. If you're in the morning class, do not forget we're wrapping up our in-person class and I'll be happy to join you and answer your questions as we wrap up. If you're watching Tuesday evenings rebroadcast, do know that we are behind the scenes tonight and uh, we will be more than happy to be found um, answering your questions at that appropriate time. We thank God for this opportunity. We thank God for this privilege to be able to share uh, God's rich, mighty, and powerful word uh, with you. Uh, do not forget tonight, tonight, tonight at seven o'clock, we will be live from the sanctuary here at St. James Church tonight at seven o'clock as we begin our fall revival 
on Tuesdays this month at 7 p.m. We will be live from the sanctuary. I'm certainly excited and uh, happy to have my dear friend and my brother, the Reverend Dr. J. Vincent Terry, who pastors the Mount Peace Baptist Church in Raleigh, preaching from the pulpit of St. James, along with Pastor Danny Jones and the Twilight Missionary Baptist Church Choir of Halifax, uh, sharing with us in song. We are excited about fall revival. We have spent our 40 days in prayer. Today is day 40 of our 40 days of prayer for our revival, and we are excited about what God is going to do. Don't forget, those of you in the Rocky Mount area, you are welcome to join us for worship tonight. Uh, the doors will open at 6.15, and our prayer and intercessors will be on the floor as you enter. Please be mindful that the intercessors will be praying, and then we will begin worship promptly from the pulpit at 7 o'clock uh, tonight. We are looking forward to a great, grand, and glorious time in God. Don't forget the other meetings and the announcements as they were shared on Sunday. Don't forget them, other meetings and activities as they are taking place on this week. Blessings upon you is our prayer. We pray God's continued blessings and favor upon your lives. Join me now. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I say thank you for this time. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this opportunity to share with your people. God, I pray that you will help us to develop a stronger sense of worship. Help us to have the right attitude, the right atmosphere, and the right action when we worship. Teach us how to be found loving, honoring, and worshiping you with all of our lives. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you now and always. This is our prayer. We offer it in the name of he who was, he who is, and he who is to come our Lord and Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Blessings upon all of you is our prayer. Continue to have a good rest of the day, rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you tonight in worship for the first night of our revival. It is our will, but it's got to be the will of God. We look forward to having you share with us next week as we continue our journey through the Old Testament. Until such time, be blessed, be safe, and know as always, beloved, we love you all.